Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Hey, um, really glad that you're here this morning. Hey, and if you're new with us um, and maybe you don't have a church home, we, we want you to, to know that you are welcome to be a part of this church family, to try this community um, where we're learning to be a family. Uh, in fact, um, I remember uh, talking to somebody, I talked to somebody between service and we were remembering back two years ago. Um, some of you know who Kim and Casey are, but two years ago, um, uh, they said, hey, we used to just go to church at like Christmas and Easter, and one of them was a recovering Catholic is how they described it, um, and, uh, but they weren't going really church anywhere, and they decided to wander over from the neighborhood and just, you know, go do the Easter thing here at Hope. And then they decided, huh, well, that was different than we expected. And they decided to come back again the next week and the next week. And, and now they are really uh, just an important part of this church family. Like, uh, to hear them talk about it, they um, have just learned about what it means to have church family and community to learn about Scripture and to learn about Jesus from. So um, they're just a great story of, of just some of the folks that were like, hey, you know what, we came on a Easter and we decided to keep coming. And um, it's one of, my, one of my favorite stories just uh, to be reminded of when we were between services today. Hey, we, um, we don't do a ton of tradition here at Hope, but we have two traditions uh, that we start Easter with. Uh, the one tradition goes like way, way back to, I think, last year was maybe... Um, <laughs> So, uh, who here likes uh, chocolate bunnies? Anybody here a fan of the chocolate bunny? Front row gets priority right there. Front row gets priority. Okay. Um, how about uh, jelly beans? Anybody jelly bean fans? We go first row first. No, we're looking farther back. I should just drill it at you, Jim, but I'm going to overhand it. You better catch that. Oh, nicely done. Whew, that was risky. Um, and of course, peeps, Marsh, all right. Oh, you front row. You're the girl. You're the one right there. And then... These actually, uh, the, the peanut butter eggs, these are amazing, aren't they? I'm keeping those, so um, no, just kidding, just kidding. There you go. Nicely done. And Kelly will just start throwing those around. So um, there, that's our first tradition, the candy toss. Um, and then the second tradition um, comes from, you know, for centuries, all around the world at Easter time, Christians, followers of Jesus, um, they've echoed this greeting to one another on Easter. It's kind of a call and response. Um, we'll put it up on the screen to help you through it. And I'll say, he is risen, and you say? He is risen. Okay, now we're going to do that again at the end of the message. So let's practice that a couple more times. So he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Okay, I think you're getting some enthusiasm. That's good stuff. I appreciate that. And how I want to start this morning is to have us turn straight to one of the stories of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. We'll start in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew 28, starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look for the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He, is, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go 
Quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now go, I have told you. Verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And we'll just pause the story. We'll come back to it later, but we're going to stop there for the moment. I mean, just reading the story of Jesus' resurrection, it's like, wow, what a story. (laughs) It's almost too good to be true. In fact, um, lots of people hear the resurrection story and they think, well, yeah, it is too good to be true because it's, it's not true. And um, just kind of an Easter confession from the pastor here. Um, I hear him, yeah, it does seem too good to be true. Maybe it's not true. Confession from me is um, like, hey, you know what? Me too. Like I sometimes have had doubts um, and particularly about this idea of the resurrection of Jesus. And I've had those doubts, not like way back in my history, but while being a pastor. I mean, I've studied the Bible for decades. I love scripture. Um, But I'm not one of those um, people that would say like, hey, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm not one of those kind of guys. Um, I love scripture. But I also know that God calls us to, you know, to think, to use the mind we have, to to be able to read widely and to process and to study. And um, I think it's perfectly fine to be honest about any of the the doubts that I have. I think it's fine for you to be okay with having doubts. And by the way, like, God can handle it, okay, right? Anyone over here? God can handle it, right? He can handle your doubts? Okay, just making sure. A whole different message was about to come. Okay, okay. You know, sometimes I think um, it's, it's got to be weird to come, you know, to a church where sometimes we're this honest about how things are uh, from the pastors and the teachers. Because, again, we're not trying to present any sort of perfect image. Um, and maybe some of you hear me express those kinds of doubts and you wonder, you're like, what the heck is this guy? What, what am I doing up here um, giving a sermon on Easter Sunday? Like, how can a guy who sometimes doubts... And hasn't just kind of blindly trusted whatever the Bible teaches. How can a guy like that get up and, you know, like teach about the Bible at church? Which is, I think, a fair question if you're wondering that. But I also wonder for many of us, if we are honest, we would have to admit that we have had our own doubts about the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Like, like how many of us have wondered Am I just trusting what some dudes wrote down, you know, 2,000 years ago, taking their word for it? And if you resonate with that, maybe you're also willing to wonder, because, like, if I'm going to trust that, like, what if they're wrong? Like, what if none of that ever actually really happened? Um, And no matter where you're at, you probably have had doubts at some point in your life. Um, In fact, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how much you've studied the Bible, if we're going to be honest, uh, we have all had doubts, even if we're afraid to express them. We've wondered if it's even safe to have doubts or to express them, because again, we're not sure God can handle it. And maybe for some of you, you can think back to points in your life where you've had some serious doubts about faith, about Jesus, maybe about the resurrection, um, maybe in your past, and some of you, maybe that's you right now. Like, you have those same kinds of 
doubts in this moment, and maybe you would even be honest enough to say if you're in a doubting place like that, well, so, so, so what if this Jesus stuff, what if this idea of the resurrection, what if it isn't the greatest story ever told? What if it was the greatest lie ever told? Um, what if, what if, maybe you'd even say it this way, what if the good news is just fake news? Just fake news. Like, and you know, kind of the last number of years here, that's kind of been a big thing, right? The whole fake news deal. And I think, frankly, most of us are sick and tired of hearing about fake news. Anyone join me on that? Just okay, a few of us over here. This side of the room wants more. Okay, well, come over here to that. Um, but you know, it's kind of this phenomenon that seems to have spread even wider in the last number of years. And don't worry, I'm not going to go down that road too far. But, but, but here's how fake news tends to work. Um, if somebody doesn't like the facts... Or if the actual facts or truth are uncomfortable or embarrassing, if the actual facts, you know, make the side I'm on look bad, then an easy reflexive response these days is to just shout out, well, that's, that's fake news, that's fake news, right? And by crying out fake news, um, if that was my strategy to do that, we're trying to offer people that, you know, think like me or people that agree with me, we're trying to offer them like an excuse to avoid looking at the actual truth which is a smokescreen, right? And sadly, it's a smokescreen that kind of seems to work in our culture because some people just aren't going to bother thinking for themselves, which can be maddening, right? And it just, it's frustrating. Like the trouble with the constant flow of fake news in our world is that sometimes it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake. Now, now not always, because sometimes, you know, it's pretty obvious to know what's real and what's fake. Like, like this headline right here on the screen, right? Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg tie the knot, uh, launch a new lifestyle brand, Snoop Living, right? Anybody in on that? Yeah, no takers. Maybe that's why that's not real. Um, so it's not hard to figure out, right? That's, by the way, if you're not sure, that's not, <laughs> that's not real. That would be fake news, completely made up. Um, um, but, but think of this one uh, a few weeks ago, or I guess it's been a couple months now. You remember that Chinese spy balloon thing that happened? There was actually a connection between the spy balloon and our youth group here at Hope, our epic youth group. Did you guys see that headline? Right, here it is. Um, spy balloon deflates Hope, turns out to be from 2019 epic youth group party. It's even got their logo right on there. So, right, it wasn't China after all. Um, Oh, you guys are way tougher than first <laughs> service. Let's see if this one's any better. Um, how about this one? Cardinals name a new player coach. New player coach QB Aaron Rodgers to lead the team on the field and off the field, right? How many of you are really glad that that's a fake headline, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, me too. Real Cardinals fans, right? Um, so, all right. So listen, you know, sometimes, most of the time maybe even, we can kind of tell... What's fake? What's real? But, you know, again, sometimes it is. Let's just be honest. It's harder to tell what's fake and what's real, especially when people are looking for reasons to doubt the source. Um, and sometimes it can be real serious stuff, like, and I'm not going to go into this, but, like, you know, there's lots of strong opinions and lots of people on both sides of so many issues right now. Like, well, who actually won the election? Or, or do masks actually help prevent the transmission of COVID? And lots of us like hear these opinions go back and forth from the different sides of it. And some of us just kind of stand there and go, ah, you, know, you know, okay, great. For every case or study that says one side, then my cousin comes up with something from the other side, right? 
And all of that just to say and acknowledge that, that, that it's really clear right now um, that it can be hard to distinguish what's true and what's not. But as common as fake news has become in our day today, it's definitely not a new phenomenon. Like, all you have to do is look back at history books uh, and see that history is littered with examples of, of fake news, of propaganda campaigns, of misinformation. Uh, history is littered with conspiracy theories, right? In fact, did you know that the Easter story itself would not be complete without a 2,000-year-old example of fake news and a cleverly devised conspiracy theory? Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Um, we, we started out reading Matthew 28, but we're going to flip back one chapter to chapter 27. It's this little section of the story that takes place between the crucifixion of Jesus, which happened Friday, and then his resurrection is on Sunday. So on Saturday, we're going to look at this little part of the story, and I had never made this connection to this part of the story, but my friend Doug Colby, who pastors a church out in Ventura, California, um, he pointed this out. He actually gave me several ideas that really helped me uh, spark in, in this message today. And one of the things uh, my friend Doug did is he, he pointed out this little detail, which even if we've read this story of the crucifixion of Jesus, it can be really easy to miss this little detail. So check this out. It's Matthew 27 um, takes place just before the resurrection. It takes place on the Saturday. We'll look at verse uh, 62. 62 it says this, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees, by the way, they were the religious opponents of Jesus, says they went to Pilate, and Pilate was the Roman governor, Sir, they said, we remember that, that while he was still alive, that deceiver, they're talking about Jesus, he said, after three days, I will rise again. So, so, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples, they might come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. And that latest deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate agreed, he says, Take a guard, and that word is plural, so it's a, a unit of guards. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. All right, so we'll pause right there. Right here, the plot kind of thickens a bit here. So let's remember here, Jesus had been crucified, taken off the cross, laid in a borrowed tomb, and then right here, the religious leaders, um, these, these guys who throughout like, the entire ministry of Jesus had been his antagonists. Like These leaders were not um, fans of Jesus because he would constantly call them out on their hypocrisy and their greed and selfishness to the point that these religious leaders, they wanted Jesus dead and they got their wish. And then, after they got their wish, they came up with this ingenious plan. Wait, we, we, we know what to do here. Let's go to the governor, Pilate, and we'll say, hey, hey, Pilate, listen, we're very concerned about this. We want to make sure his disciples don't come up with some ridiculous story. So, we need you to go send some guards. So, Pilate agrees. He sends some soldiers to be outside the tomb just to make sure that none of this riffraff of disciples don't try to come and steal Jesus' body. Now, Roman soldiers, um, history tells us, they were pretty good at their job, right? 
pretty good at violence. Um, they were pretty good at protecting things. They were pretty good at hurting people. They were elite, well-trained forces, um, and they had a lot of pressure on them from their leaders in the military. Um, in fact, how it worked in their if you were a Roman soldier, for your commander and those above you, that if someone gave you as a soldier an easy assignment or, or if you, um, you, know, you were supposed to follow an order but you failed or you screwed up this easy assignment, like you know, an assignment like you know, guarding a dead guy from a bunch of frightened disciples who had no military training, right? Um, but if you screwed that up, those soldiers could be executed, and they would do stuff like that. The Romans would do that to their own guys just to make an example out of them because Rome didn't mess around. Now, remember when we started uh, the message, uh, we, we, we started out by the part of the story of Jesus' resurrection, the very beginning of the story. Um, what happened is the angel rolled away the stone from the tomb and sat on the stone, and then there was this earthquake so fast forward your mind to that, and then, and then remember it said that these rough-and-tumble guards, um, they were so scared, they were so freaked out that they fell backwards and they looked like dead men, like they were terrified. So um, that happened, and then we left off um, verse 10. Easter morning, the women are going to announce Jesus' disciples, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead, right? So let's pick the story back up right there. Matthew 28, verse 11, and this is where we're going to see this cleverly devised conspiracy theory. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards, and again, these are the guards who had been there at the tomb and seen all this stuff go down, they went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, hey guys, all right, here, listen, this is what you're going to do. You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep, which, again, would get them in trouble. So they added this, uh, if this report, soldier guys, if this gets you in trouble with the governor, we'll satisfy him, we'll keep you out of trouble. So it says, the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And so what Matthew's saying there in that last line is, right now, back in the first century, right while I'm writing this down, that's the story that we hear people still tell about what happened to this very day back then to the audience he was writing it to, because you would still hear that story. So, again, follow the storyline. Jesus comes back to life. The guards run to the religious leaders, and it's interesting that what they decide to do, these leaders decide to conceal what happened. Like, they know that, like, if Jesus rose from the dead, that's totally not going to fit their narrative, and it's completely going to undermine the power that they had as leaders. And it's so fascinating, because at no point, at no point do they try to investigate what really happened to Jesus' body. Instead, they choose to come up with a conspiracy theory and invent alternative facts to support it. And they're like, hey, hey, you Roman guards, go tell everyone that, that, that his disciples came and stole Jesus' body. Which, again, back off of that for a second, and it's kind of funny because that version of the story, like, hey, listen, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Uh, his disciples stole the body from these soldiers 
um, not just back then, was that circulated even today, in our day. That's a version of a story that gets put out there. Um, but it doesn't take much time to just even think about that and go, well, that would just be preposterous, wouldn't it, right? Like, think about the scenario. Like, everybody there, they already knew um, that the disciples were scared out of their minds, that they went into hiding as soon as Jesus was arrested. So ignore that, and then ignore that these guys were mostly simple fishermen and farmers who would have had to sneak up at night to face down well-trained, well-armed, fierce Roman soldiers who were guarding. They'd have to sneak in there. And then never mind, even if they accomplished that, um, if that's even believable, never mind that then they would have had to pry loose all the seals on the tomb, roll away a massive stone, and then remove the body of Jesus, all without waking up any of the Roman soldiers, like these tough soldiers, right? Like, the, that they wouldn't have woke up through all of that commotion, you know, and then soldiers are like, oh, wow, look at that, we fell asleep. Huh, what do you know? We woke up and like, Jesus' body was gone, right? Because again, what do we know would happen to Roman soldiers um, if they fell asleep and screwed up an easy job? Yeah, there'd be, be a death penalty. They would kill them right there. Um, their commanding officer would not let that fly. They wouldn't live to tell the tale. And so again, it's so ironic because Matthew, in the way he wrote this out, wanted us to see some of the irony in the story. Because Saturday, these religious leaders devise a plan to make sure the disciples don't steal the body. We're going to put a seal on the tomb. We're going to have these big, bad-feared Roman guards, you know, by the tomb, making sure it's secure. That's Saturday. But then on Sunday, they spin a whole different fake news story about Jesus and what Matthew does by laying these out for us is he wants us to see the irony here, that they come up with a plan, and when it doesn't work, then they find a way to spread a conspiracy theory. They didn't use Twitter, they didn't use you know, Instagram, they didn't post it on Facebook, they didn't do a TikTok video. They spread their fake news the old-fashioned way, through, through money, corruption, and good old word of mouth to, to some people who probably kind of wanted to find a reason to doubt Jesus. And guess what? Like, it worked. Sounds like it worked because by the time Matthew records his account of Jesus' life, and he's writing this back in the first century, that fake news um, that the religious leaders had come up with, it was still being spread all through the, the area of Jerusalem. That capital city is still being spread to all the people that way. You know, listen, it didn't matter whether the story was even believable or not. It didn't have to be. It didn't have to be because anytime you want to drown out the truth, your lies don't have to be believable. They just have to be what people want to hear. Which is exactly what happens here in the Easter story with the religious leaders' fake news. And let's mention that that is one of the same kind of theories or stories that's put out there today as well. Jesus' body was stolen. Today we hear things like that as well. In the words of French theologian Leo Lemon. Since Easter morning, there have been certain forces at work in the world which have attempted to obscure the most basic truth of the gospel. From the beginning, he writes, the world has been developing an alternate history in which Christ is not 
resurrected. Since Easter morning, right, he's saying an alternate history persists. A conspiracy theory saying Jesus was never resurrected. His body was stolen. So back then and continuing on today, there's two rival narratives about the resurrection that emerged. One narrative says, well, yeah, 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 the resurrection was a hoax, it was a lie, it was, it was a fraud that was perpetrated by a group of religious fanatics who were trying to convince gullible and weak-minded people to follow that movement. And some people add on to that kind of part of the theory and say, yeah, 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 listen, and so maybe Jesus wasn't even really dead. Like, like maybe he was just unconscious, they buried him, they thought he was dead, and then he started breathing again, and he got up. Maybe, maybe that's... Maybe that's what happened. Or, or, or maybe, maybe the disciples, they had this massive hallucination. They all sort of convinced each other that they saw what they wanted to see. Maybe, maybe that's the explanation. Or, or maybe, maybe they just made up this entire resurrection story. So question for us to look at right there would just be, what well, was the resurrection hoax? Uh, was it a hoax? Was it fake news? And because really, look at, both sides of this, like which version of the facts actually would describe what real news is or what fake news is? Which, again, I think that's a reasonable question for anyone to ask. How do we decide what version is real and what version is fake? And I think that it would help to maybe answer um, that question by saying, okay, well, then why? Like, if it's a lie, then why would they lie? Like, a lie would make sense if they had something to gain through spreading this story, through spreading this fake news. But not only did they not have something to gain, history tells us they lost everything. Like, history tells us, records, not, not just like what the Bible says, like, no, history records that followers of Jesus, especially the first followers of Jesus, they lost everything by clinging to believing that Jesus' resurrection was real. So again, why? Why would they make up a hoax like that? So that's kind of the one narrative. The other narrative, the other option is, would be that, okay, well then the resurrection was a real event. Um, it was recorded by credible men and women who were so convinced of the reality of the resurrection that they dedicated the rest of their lives to following Jesus and to bringing his message to other people. And so why were they willing to stick to the story of the resurrection even when historians tell us that sometimes it cost them their very lives? Well, maybe, just maybe, because it was real. They did see it. Maybe that's why. And for me, kind of going back to my kind of doubter, skeptic um, place that I frequently land because I want to understand, just that is one of the many different things that that helped me work through um, believing that Jesus was actually resurrected. Like, I do think there's a bunch of reasons, but one that was so helpful to me comes from looking at the history of what became of the people who saw and encountered the resurrected Jesus. See, there was a before, what they were like before, and then there was something after. 
And before Jesus died, these disciples were terrified. They were cowards. Like, if you were making up this story, you would not write yourself into the story that way. You would not want people to think that you were a coward, that your honor was in question, that you went and hid. Like, the men, they all went and hid when Jesus got arrested because they figured that they would be crucified next. And so Friday and Saturday before, before They hid. They were totally afraid. They were one way. And then there's an after. And history, history records their courage. And by the way, I just want to say this. For people who don't believe the Bible, I think it's just kind of crazy for us Christians to only quote Bible verses as proof. Like, right? So that just makes sense. So look at what history says. And historians record that after... After something, they suddenly went from being fearful to fear less. No longer were they afraid to die. They were now willing to give their lives. Leo Lehman, again, says the disciples would later risk their lives to proclaim that Jesus had, in fact, risen. They, if they knew, if they knew that their claim was a lie, where would they have found such courage to threaten the... To, where would they have found such courage to face the authorities threatening them? Why, he asked, why would they knowingly preach a falsified gospel? No, the audacity of the apostles, their courage, their zeal, their perseverance in the face of persecution, and the whole expansion of Christianity, he writes, is unexplainable without the resurrection. So, so, so what happened that changed them from before where they were fearful to fearless after? Well, I stand and believe and agree with those who think, well, it had to be the resurrection. Um, because after the resurrection, everything for them changed. I mean, if the resurrection was fake news... If Jesus was dead and stayed dead, and you, you were going to be executed for being a follower of Jesus, and all you had to do to avoid being killed was to admit, okay, 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 we made it all up, we stole the body, you can find it over in that cave on the other town over there, right? Uh, If all you had to do to not be killed was to admit that it was all a hoax, you'd totally do it. Right? You, you wouldn't die protecting a lie, and they had nothing to gain by dying to pro- protect some crazy lie. So, so, so why do I think the resurrection is real and that it's worth looking into? Again, there's many more reasons, but to me, just history's accounts of the courage of Jesus' first witnesses is awfully convincing, in fact, I'll read one more short quote from German theologian Wolfhart Pannenberg. Now, there's a name for you. Wolfhart Pannenberg. He says this. The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it, except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. Like, let's just acknowledge that, right? This is kind of an unusual event, let's, right? And second, second, if you believe it happened, well then... You'd have to change the way you live. And you know, that's the rub for many of us. Because if we really did believe that Jesus was who he said he was, if we actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we instinctively know that it would mean taking a hard look at the rest of what he said and taught. 
And I think there's probably maybe some folks on an Easter um, here, or maybe somebody you know dragged them to watch and with online or listen to the podcast, and 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 maybe you're one that's had doubts about the resurrection, um, and maybe it's because maybe you grew up in church and somebody said, well, you just got to accept all this stuff on blind faith. You can't question it. Just have faith, and you're like, well, I have a I have a brain. Um, and I don't want to ignore logic, and so you've been kind of a skeptic because you didn't know it was okay to ask questions like that. And if that is you, I just want to encourage you, um, and I want to invite you to engage your mind over the next days and weeks and months. Like, study. Look deeper into this. Um, There's some highly intelligent, rational people who do a fantastic job of exploring the real historical evidence for the resurrection. And I'd be happy to recommend some books, so shoot me an email. Um, if that's what your sticking point is, then, then I invite you to like, step into that. Like, don't be afraid to wonder and to, to work through that if that's your sticking point. Um, and if your sticking point, maybe some of us here, your sticking point is um, you've been around too many Christians and seeing how some Christians have behaved to think that this could possibly be true because I've been around Christians. Hey, join the club, right? We've been around Christians. We've seen how sometimes we act and, um, you know, no perfect people. Um, that's not an excuse for being, um, i got to find the right word that I can use in church, a jerk. There we go. That's the word I can say, right? It's not an excuse for that. And if you are in that kind of a situation in your world and it's, Part of what's kind of hung you up and made you wonder, like, I don't know if I could buy into this because I look at the people who, some of the people who call themselves Christians, and I, hey, I just, I want a couple things. I want to say, I'm sorry that that's been your experience. Um, and here at Hope, like, I'm sure that we don't get that right all the time either. We don't. But it's okay at this church family for you to be where you're at and be on the journey and explore it. Um, and so we want to invite you, like, take a chance on just being a part of a church family and hanging around a little bit and see if maybe some of these other things kind of get worked out. So there's a couple folks, reasons maybe why you're not believing or haven't said yes, but, but there might be others of us today that um, maybe it's that you don't believe in the resurrection um, for a different reason than those other ones. Maybe it's... Because you know that if you actually did believe it, um, if it is true, if Jesus is who he said he is, then you'd actually have to change the way that you live, to change your life. And we humans, we don't like to change our life. We don't like that kind of change. Like, we, we want to go on living the way that we want to live. We want to go on believing the same conspiracy theory from 2,000 years ago that the religious leaders cooked up to convince the people of their day. It's convenient for us. But see, back in that day, you had hundreds, Scripture says, over 500 people, most of whom are still living, which you wouldn't write if you couldn't go and ask those people. Like it says, hey, go ask them. <laughs> the ones that are still alive, go ask them. They saw Jesus. You wouldn't write that to try to you know, counter a lie that everybody else is believing this other conspiracy theory. You wouldn't write that if it wasn't like, oh, I can go check this out. I can check out the evidence. He actually did appear to people. And so what happened is they had these two rival narratives, and people back then had to choose had to choose, was he dead and stolen, or was Jesus, did he come alive? And just like they had to choose back then, the resurrection of Jesus invites us to choose, invites us to choose. 
Because, well, I mean, if it's not true, well then, hey, cool, I can go on living exactly the way I want to. Um, I can decide my authority decides what's right and what's wrong. I can decide where to land on certain ethical issues that kind of align with my preferences. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter what Jesus teaches. If he didn't rise from the dead, if he's not real, it doesn't matter. And so I can kind of just decide whatever I think is best, and that's the way we roll, which is a convenient way to live. We all kind of would love to live that way, at least in certain areas. The problem is if we choose the other way, that we believe it is true, if it is true, then it would mean we might actually have to make some changes in our lives. See, if it is true, if Jesus is who he said he was, that actually would mean reorienting our lives to following Jesus, this Jesus who wants to bring new life to your life. And again, hard part is that would change everything. But sometimes we're in a place where you go, actually, that change might be a welcome thing, right? Ultimately, some of us go, you know, actually, <laughs> that might be a good thing to have some changes because in our heart of hearts, many of us know there's this empty place. Or maybe in our broken hearts, we start to long for something more, for someone greater, and especially those of us that are honest about the ways that we're doing our life, that this life without Jesus, it ain't working. Like if we can acknowledge, yeah, there's places in me that feel dead. Um, if we can acknowledge the relationships that have harmed us, the dreams that have burned us, the parts of our lives that feel dead, they feel hopeless. And then we see Jesus offering this resurrection life. It almost seems too good to be true. We almost dare not get our hopes up. And as I was um, preparing yesterday, I just had this picture, and maybe you can imagine it. And the picture was just Jesus standing right next to us, right next to you, his arm around you. And you're looking with Jesus at these broken, dead places and I have a sense that Jesus wants to even speak to the hearts of some of us here. And just, he's saying, I invite you. I invite you to choose. I invite you, I think Jesus would say, to move from death to life. I think Jesus wants to speak to some of our hearts this morning. And he, he wants to raise you to a, a life, a new life with him I think he might be asking some of us this morning, whether we've been followers of Jesus for a long time or we've never made that decision or we've been kind of lost along the way, wherever you're at, I think he is inviting all of us. Will, will you follow me, says Jesus? Will you follow me into life? Will you follow Jesus into life? Worship team, will you come? See, friends, the reality of the resurrection is that it's the greatest good news in the history of the world. See, Jesus didn't just resurrect himself and kind of leave it at that. No, no, no. He now offers to bring new life to our very lives. See, because of the resurrection of Jesus, every one of us can step into a new life. 
Because of the resurrection, you and I, we can be forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. That's the promise of the resurrection. Jesus offers his resurrecting life to you and to me to bring us from death to life, to bring dead hearts back to life, to breathe into our brokenness and make us brand new. See, friends, you and I, we can be reconciled into right relationship with the God of the universe. We can be given a new heart. You and I can actually be transformed into the kind of people that God created us to be in the first place. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus means new life for your heart and mine. And it means that we get to be God's partners in bringing new life into our broken world. See, it's not just for me and mine or you and yours. It's for the whole world. We get to experience it, and then we get to offer his life into the world around us. See, that's the kind of life that you and I get offered in, uh, invited into because of the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, that's why I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is, is not fake news. That's why I believe it's the greatest good news in the history of the world. And I think about how the disciples went from before, where they were so fearful, to after, where they were so courageous. And just like they became so courageous, became willing to make sacrifices and, and give their lives, I see that same quality in so many of, of you, so many of us. Those of us that are convinced that Jesus is real, that Jesus changed our lives, that Jesus changed our stories, and we see all that healing and brokenness start getting healed, and we decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going all in on following Jesus. See, friends, the, the resurrection of Jesus, um, I just think of something as simple as like our, our church staff here. Um, it's why our staff members here at Hope are willing to work a job at a church, not doing it just for the money. And most of our staff are working part-time when they could easily work full-time and make more money elsewhere. But because of Jesus and their desire, our desire to, to go all in and spread his goodness and his love to the people around us and to minister, we're all in because of the resurrection of Jesus. See, it's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the reasons why, why, why our friends here at Hope, um, our friends, the Delp family, moved their family to Ecuador. And the Asaza family, they moved their family to Colombia, giving their lives away to share the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus to people in those nations. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the reason why a successful manager with Chase Manhattan Mortgage uh, named Heidi, who's now my wife, she made this crazy decision to walk away from that life over 15 years ago and to go all in and give her life to working at nonprofits and ministries to help other people know the love of Jesus that had set her free and brought healing to her heart. And I know some of your stories. I know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for many here, it's also the reason that while lots of us have gone through devastation, loss, and deep pain, we still hang on to hope in our hearts because of Jesus. See, it's, it's the reason why my friend Greg, who's a, a pastor at our sister church in San Diego, whose wife suddenly died just a few weeks ago and now he's wondering how he's going to raise their two teenagers but the resurrection of Jesus it's why Greg knows that his wife's 
death is not the end of the story. And he is deeply grieving, but somehow he still has some measure of joy in his heart because of Jesus. See, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Um, That's the reason that many of you who have gone through painful stories of betrayal and abuse, but you find reason to hope and to move deeper into healing and wholeness, believing his resurrection life is at work in your story. That's why one of my heroes in the Hope family, um, Pastor Yvonne Devon, who, if you know her story, she went through unspeakable abuse as a girl and as a teenager, but, but Yvonne trusted Jesus to heal her pain and work through her story to shine light into the darkest hurts and to bring the hope of Jesus to, to thousands of fellow survivors around the world because of Jesus. See, the resurrection, it's the reason that that our good friend Mark Sullivan, he got free of a life of addiction and violence, and now he has a new life, not a perfect life, but a brand new, alive to Jesus life that's worth, worth living. Friends, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, none of those things would make any sense at all, but the resurrection brings us from death to life. It makes all things new. Because the resurrection is not fake news. It's the greatest good news in the history of the world. It's the reason that we live. It's the reason we're gathered here this morning. It's the reason that we worship. It's the reason that we sing. Because friends, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Stand and sing with us.